0: Hey guys, and welcome to huntin Land, where we discuss hunting tactics, wildlife, and habitat management, and the dynamics of land ownership. I'm Joe Baia, co-hosting this week with my good buddy Clint Flowers. Clint, how's the turkey hunting going? You up there doing a little uh, turkey season quarantine?
1: We are. They talked pretty well this morning. We weren't able to get on one, but we had a good time and got rained out about 9 o'clock and, and headed in.
0: Well, you're talking about rain. There's a good article up on greatdaysoutdoors.com right now about turkey hunting in the rain. And there's some, some really cool tactics. That's, you can kill some birds in the rain. You don't necessarily want to go out there, or you can, but you do have to change up your tactics. Turkeys do some different things when there's precipitation, but you, you can definitely get it done. One of the things, man, is it has been downright hot for the start of you usually the first two weeks of turkey season we're still dealing with cool temperatures temps in the 40s usually i'm usually wearing thermals and things like that but it's not been the case this year we've got an early spring things are heating up and that is that's going to be what we're going to talk about in this week's show is getting some seed in the ground in the spring to feed the deer feed the turkeys in the summertime And with this early spring, I think this year's kind of conditions to be able to do that are going to happen earlier than normal. Before we get there, this week's show is brought to you by Bay County Armory. Building an AR-10 or AR-15 can be a daunting task. Choosing every individual component of the firearm is something that prevents most from ever getting started and leaves you buying whatever rifle you can find on the shelf. At Bay County Armory, they guide you on choosing which components you should choose based on the type of task you're trying to tackle. Don't let the feeling of overwhelm stop you from having the exact AR you want. Give Bay County Armory a call at 850-832-2238 or check them out online at baycountyarmory.com. Clan I'm excited about today's show because I like I like to be on my property as much as possible doing as much as I can for wildlife and a little tractor time is always some good therapy. So this week we're going to be talking spring and summer food plots and really trying to pick the best setup for, for what your property is like. We've all got different properties with different different needs. And so this week we're going to the expert, Daniel Bumgarner. Daniel, welcome back to Huntin Land. Tell us about wildlife management solutions, where you guys are located. And I know you deal with the guys that are got a plethora of needs when it comes to planting spring and summertime forage?
2: Uh, Yeah, Joe, we do. We're located here in Utah, Alabama. Uh, We're in West Alabama. We deal with dealers all across the state of Alabama and North, North Florida, Mississippi. I've got some, got some dealers over in Louisiana, but, but yeah, you're, you're exactly right. Summer planning can be, can be a real task because each property is different. You know, you may have smaller acreage, you may have larger acreage. You've got guys that, you know, they, they may have a real large deer herd. You know, it may be a smaller deer herd. So there's, you know, you kind of got to take each property um, individually and kind of look at what planning scheme will work for each individual place. That
0: makes a lot of sense. And, you know, I, I think the way I'd like to break today's show down is let's kind of work our way from the ground up. Let's first talk about soils you know one of the alabama has so many different zones the southeast has so many different types of soils and what what most guys are thinking about when they're thinking about planning is planting their fall plots and when you go and and you're thinking about summer nutrition planning we're talking about planning in the springtime do you recommend that guys do their soil sample This time of year, does it matter to you that much? Do you like to see them pull that soil sample at a different time, or should they go ahead and go on out there right now and get that get that taken care of?
2: Yeah, you know, soil health for your spring and summer plots are extremely important. Uh, So yes, we would highly recommend taking soil tests. if you haven't taken one. You know, say this past fall. Uh, Now, of course, if you've taken a soil sample this past fall, you're good to use that sample. um, You know, for your spring and summer planting. You know, these guys. When we're planting summer plots, especially for deer, we're trying to provide a high-protein forage-type diet for those deer, and we want—you know—we're doing that for the health of deer herd. And if your ground is poor or is lacking in nutrients or pH is low, that forage is not going to be of very high quality. So it's extremely important to be successful. You know, we've got to start with soils. You got to have good nutrient-rich um, soil. To grow a, a nutrient-rich crop, so yes, definitely, that's where we're going to start.
0: So we've got our soil tests in our hands, and we find out we need to make some amendments. And one of the issues I've run into on my place is we've got a, a acidic soil, sandy soil, and you know, bringing in a ag lime with a say a you know a buggy spreader is not really feasible. I mean, I, a lot of the places we're planting, I. Man, I don't even know if you could get one of those things turned around in there. It, it's pretty tight stuff. It's a lot of uh, what what I'd call kill plots more so than forage plots. So when it comes to amending with and an amending pH, obviously for guys that have, have a you know a lot of ground that they can go get an ag lime spreader from their local co op and go that route. But uh, what else can be done if if we're talking about a hunting camp or, or a hunting club that's got a lot of half acre, acre food plots. What do you like to do in those scenarios?
2: Yeah, there there are definitely some options. You know, there's there are some new products out there now that are more efficient lime product. You can get those in granular or in liquid products. The granular products are very easy to use. They're, um, you know, you can spread them just, you know, just like fertilizer with any kind of small equipment. But like I say, they're much more efficient. One that we use a lot of is a product called AquaAid. It is water-soluble. It acts really quick. Um, You're going to start moving pH in about three to four weeks instead of, you know, three to four months like you would with bulk ag. And it doesn't take near as much. So you're looking at, you know, say if you need to put a ton of lime down and bulk ag down, if that's what your soil test calls for, you would need about 435 pounds of the AquaAid lime product uh, to be equivalent to one ton of bulk ag. So, you know, a little bit goes a long way and it still has the longevity. as bulk egg. Another option would be liquid lime. A lot of guys have a sprayer. Liquid lime products work fairly well. The only issue with most of the liquid limes is it's not going to have the longevity as, say, your, you know, your granular products will. Um, you may get two months, you know, maybe three months uh, out of those products, but they are easy to use and they're not very expensive. So there are ways to be successful.
0: When it comes to that liquid lime, is that something where two months in, if you go back over, you know, existing vegetation with that, is it gonna is it gonna kill it?
2: Oh no 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 yeah you can you can still use the liquid lime products. In fact, you know they will work. You know as a foliar type feed as well. So what's not taken up by the plant on that second application is going to go through the soil and into the root as well. So yeah. We would actually recommend if you're using a liquid lime product, you know, maybe lime right before you plant or just right after you plant and then maybe go back in six weeks later and hit it again.
0: So, Daniel, you're talking a lot about existing nutrients in the soil and when you're deficient, whether it be pH or or in fertilizer, essentially, one of the areas that a lot of guys are starting to focus on as opposed to focusing on how to produce the highest protein forage or as opposed to trying to produce just the most forage. They're trying to really improve their soil health for the long term. So when it comes to soil health and trying to build organic matter in the soil, a lot of folks are going to a no, no-till practices. They're trying to avoid disking the mm-hmm. soil, drill their seeds. With that kind of goal in mind, is it is it a good idea to go in and remove existing vegetation that is there? So if we're going into our plot and and we our goal for this for the spring and summer is really just to produce as much biomass as we can, do we need to kill what's there? or Do we just want to let whatever will grow grow?
2: Yeah, now that that is a good question. That has been a very hot topic the last two three years, and you know there's there are huge benefits to soil health and the microbial advantages that you get of uh, you know. Just the, the improved soil structure, the better you can build that soil, it equates to more fertility. You know, you're not destroying that soil cycle when you run the disc through it. So your inputs go down on your fertilizer. You know, we're seeing great, great advantages from going no till, you know, and there's, there are several ways to do that. You don't necessarily have to have no till equipment. And, you know, we're, we're doing some experiments right now with some of our different varieties and different techniques, trying not to disturb the ground by using no-till methods without no-till equipment, if that makes sense. So we're, we're doing a lot of throw and mow, mm-hmm. um, where, you know, where we broadcast seed into an, a standing plot, and then we may just mow over the top of it and let that thatch just fall down on top of the seed, you know, we're we're broadcasting seed and running a heavy drag where it shakes that seed down to where it's underneath that stubble. You know, we may um, apply a little bit of glyphosate, you know, and then broadcast the seed. So, there's, there's lots of different methods that guys are using that are productive, especially on small properties or small plots, where guys don't have access to big no-till equipment.
0: But ultimately, what I'm hearing you say is that we've got to terminate the existing vegetation one way or the other, whether that's with glyphosate, a herbicide of some type, or just with a drag to kind of crimp that existing vegetation. What you're trying to do in that scenario is get that seed down below that existing vegetation, then terminate it over the top.
2: That That is right. And 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 you're right. Guys are either using like a roller crimper. Um, and of course those are kind of a larger scale, equipment item, the bigger you know, the bigger farms are using those with and drilling, you know, behind it. You know, you can use a burn down chemical. But something that we're trying to do is say if we plant uh, one that we like to plant a lot is our Alabama blend. And it has a lot of fixation balance clover, a lot of frosty bursting clover, crimson clover. And so those annual clovers are great tonnage producers in the spring. They come to an end. Right. You know, they seed out and they die. So, what we try to do is catch that blend when all those different varieties are finishing up for the season. And so, if your fixation balanza has had a great year, um it smothers a lot of anything else. Um so you typically don't have any weed competition. so if you can if you can time it right, you can broadcast your seed right at right at the end of that life cycle for the clover. so you're you're not having to terminate anything with a roller crimper or with glyphosate. And so you can kind of roll through it without that other cost.
0: Yeah. And I mean, I think for guys that have a lot of, a lot of acreage and can plant multiple acres at a time and, and maybe their budget is not limited, the wor- you know, there's tons of options out there between seed yeah. drills and roll crimpers and all, all the way down the line. But then there's also a lot of folks that have a hunting club and they're planting half acre plots and they still want the benefits of improving their soil health and reducing their inputs over time. So, you know, for folks like that, it sounds like with some of this throw and mow type practices, they still got an option. Maybe they come over top of it with glyphosate. Maybe they don't need to. But when it comes to producing that forage, I mean, that's really what we're thinking with soil health is we want to produce as much organic material as we can over the summer, not only to feed the deer and provide habitat and and feed our our other wildlife, but mostly just to improve increase the amount of organic matter in the soil. So what do you like to plant? I mean, do y'all have a blend that you like to use or do you go to just a straight one seed cereal grain type planting? What What do you find works good in the Southeast?
2: Right. Sure. And, and there are lots of options. I think the biggest thing is, you know, you've got to know your soil type that, you know, that texture fits a heavier clay and you've got a lot of material You may want to go with a smaller seeded legume, you know, or a forb like buckwheat or um smaller cowpea like iron and clays. There's a lot of small seeded cowpeas out there that work really, really well. You know, if you're doing dove fields, dove fields are awesome to do that way with your millets and milos. They They do really well you know, just broadcast it in and, and you know, bush hogging over, you know, so the, our pea patch mix, we no-till it a lot with different methods. It has a lot of small seeded cow peas, you know, even your, even your, like I say, it's got buckwheat with it. Uh, lab Lab actually sprouts pretty well underneath as long as you've got good thatch on top. So, you know, there's lots of options. I think corn. It's probably something that we've tried a few times doing that and not had a lot of success with. We really need to try to drill it. Uh, some of your bigger soybeans, they really need to be planted. You know, haven't had a lot of success uh, with soybeans, but other things like a lease clover or ashenomene, those are, are super, super varieties to, uh, you know, just broadcast in. They, you know, small seeds, it doesn't take a whole lot to get those up and going. And Daniel, for those,
1: the guys that are just really starting to get into the no-till rotation, yeah, you know, I know that. Soil moisture is a big part of that. I mean, is there conditions or methods that you consider optimal for, you know, keeping it where we need to see it to make things to really take off the way we want it to,
2: especially for those of us that are just getting into it? Yeah, no no doubt about it. You know, this is kind of new to a lot of folks and timing is everything on, on being successful. Uh, soil moisture is, is hands down one of the, the biggest problems. So, you know, if you've got good soil moisture and they're calling on rain coming and your temperatures look good, you know, if they're calling on a week of 80 degree weather, uh, man, it is ideal. So, so yeah, you know, if if you're planning on doing a throw and mow type planting and they're not calling on rain for two or three weeks and it's going to be hot, I would hold up. You know, you really need to hit the weather conditions right.
0: You, you mentioned temperatures. Now, I assume you're talking about soil temperatures, but are you are you also talking about air temperatures? What do you look for? I mean, is there is there kind of a baseline where you say, look, we want our soil to be no cooler than, or wh- what are you looking for with a, as far as a range when it comes to no till? And let me let me back up a little bit. Let's let's talk about just the the broadcast version of no till. So we're using a small seed. And if I understood what you were saying earlier correctly, would you like a smaller seed when you're broadcasting doing no till. If you go to bigger seeds like corn and soybeans, you really need to have some kind of drill be able to get that seed down in good good soil contact. So when we're talking broadcast no-till, what do you look for for soil temperatures?
2: Yeah, and you know, it, and it still applies. What most of your annual legumes you need to have that soil temperature around 70 degrees. A lot of varieties will sprout and grow at lower soil temperatures. That is gonna be, um, the vigor's not gonna be there. They're not gonna jump out of the ground and grow really strong. And that's not what you need for, especially summer deer plot. If that plant comes up and it's not actively growing, then it is much more susceptible to overgrazing. So yeah, I mean, typically mid-April is when we kind of hit that 70 degree mark. But you know, each year's different. So what we look for is, you know, we'll try to pull up an extended forecast. And if we can see, you know, sometime around the month of April, when we've got that week or 10 days where we're in the upper 70s and we have a few 80 degree days, normally that soil temperature is going to start warming up pretty quick. And that, you know, that's what we're looking for. We don't want to look out there April 2nd and a week of mild weather, but then in the 10 day forecast, they're showing nights back in the 40s. You know, we want to wait till that's kind of passed. That's kind of what we're looking for.
0: Well, you brought up overgrazing. Now, where I hunt and where I plant food plots, I'm more concerned about soil health. Like I said earlier, I've got sandy soils. They're very acidic. I'm just trying to get really anything to grow as opposed to worrying about overgrazing. We don't have a super high deer population. Now, where Clint hunts, he's got black belt soils he's probably less concerned about nutrients in the soil, more concerned about feeding a bigger deer herd, not having overgrazing take place and really just being able to provide enough tonnage because he's just got a lot a lot more deer than what I have acre for acre. When it comes to feeding a bigger deer herd, do you change your, your choices in the type of, of seeds you want to put down? Is there, or do you have a some selections that you really want to use for a place that has a high deer density?
2: Oh yeah, no no doubt about it. And, and, you know, it goes back to also a, you know, you, you have to overwhelm the herd, you know, whether you have a big herd with small acreage or you have a big herd and you have big acreage to plant. So let's, let's look at it this way. Say we've got a large herd, but we don't have just a lot of acreage that we can put into summer food plots. There are varieties out there, Ashinomene or you'll hear it called American joint bitch. Is absolutely outstanding for high deer density areas. At least clover is another summer legume that does really well with with a lot of pressure. Buckwheat's great to plant in there with it. Some of your smaller seeded cowpeas they can handle that grazing pressure better, but stay away from things like soybeans. You know those you're you're going to have to have larger acreage to handle a big deer herd. It all depends on your deer density, how much acreage you have to plant, and it's something that you have to gauge from year to year. We have a farm in particular that I know that we have to plant 25 acres on that farm to beat the deer herd. And that's planting things like cowpeas and lab lab, big leafy forage plants. And if I don't plant that much, I will get beat. Um, so we know that through time, as long as our deer density kind of stays the same, normally with that 25 acres planted, we can beat them. I mean, that's something that you'll kind of learn as you, you know, you plant your summer plots, you know, two or three years running, you kind of get an idea of what you got to have.
1: Yeah. You know, Daniel, I'm, I'm one of those guys that wants to get into this and, and, you know, I know exactly where I plant and how much I plant in the fall and every year, but looking at this in spring and summertime, I mean, logically there seems to be more natural browse out there for the deer. Am I coming here and planting the same areas, you know, all my food plots, same way I do in the in the fall, or do my you typically come in and, and let's say do half of your plots or your larger plot, your smaller plot start with or or you know, what's the, the approach you recommend for a newbie like me?
2: Yeah, sure. And you know, it goes back to you're you're gonna have to start somewhere. You know, I would definitely look at my larger fields and I would wanna plant those first. Um, you want to plant those fields that you think where you can grow a lot of tonnage, you know, and and be able to provide that tonnage all the way through, you know, September. So I wouldn't worry so much about your smaller fields, your bow fields, those type things when you're getting started, and plant those larger fields first. You know, if you're if if you're still getting beat, you know, you may have to add some other acreage to it. But I think that's where I would start and just monitor. And and you know, you got to keep in mind too, every summer's different. You know, we may, we may have a drought in June. It may quit raining, you know, May 10th. You know, the next year we may have a great spring and summer. You know, we say monitor it from year to year. Well, some growing seasons aren't as good as others, so you got to keep that in mind as well. And a lot of guys get, uh, you know, they get a little bit, um, they get a little bit concerned with what their crop did the last year, you know, and they may decide not to plant the next year because they, you know, they failed. So you got to, you've got to think about the weather too. It seems like from the using these larger fields, it's almost taking
1: kind of a commercial agricultural approach where you just want to get it as in wide an area as you can, just to help safeguard against some of that overbrowsing pressure
2: yeah that that's right you've got to beat them you've got to have enough tonnage to where they actually still have good boards late into the summer you know that's when the deer herd in alabama or in the south needs that supplemental feed is going to be in you know july august september that is our stress period for us in the south now, those are the most brutal months for a deer herd is that time of the year our, you know our natural browse is it's long past spring green up and you know, we've gone through some hot, dry weather by that point. And if we can provide, you know, especially a big leafy lagoon through those hot summer months, um, it can be a real boost to the deer herd.
0: Daniel, have you had any success? Clint's got a lot of deer. I've got I've got a, a much lower deer density where I am. Have you had any success in summer plantings that have been able to quote unquote attract deer, hold deer off neighboring properties?
2: I I can tell you this. When we have a successful summer food plot uh, season, we always have a better observation on our properties for that fall. We try to plant most of our hunting plot fields in the summer. And so if we have a big field, we, you know, and we, we love to hunt that field in the fall of the year, we always put a summer crop in that field. And, you know, those deer just get used to feeding there all summer. Mm -hmm. And when you roll it into your fall hunting plot, well, those deer have been coming there all summer. They've raised phones there. Those big bachelor groups of bucks have been out there feeding. I mean, it just, it seems like our observations... Go through the roof when we have a successful summer program
0: so just kind of that's their neighborhood i mean they get used to it and they're more comfortable there that makes that does make a lot of sense to me you were talking about that stress period and that's mm-hmm. same period is when our bucks are putting on antlers it's when our does are during you know gestating or or rearing fawns producing mm-hmm. milk and that kind of brings me to the next consideration i think some guys are trying to feed a big deer herd some guys are trying to improve their their soil health. Some guys are totally focused on growing bigger antlers. What's the most important thing? I mean, is it protein levels? Is it just having just pure forage out there with don't worry so much about protein levels? If somebody comes to you and says, I just want to have bigger deer. I want my I want my deer to put on more inches of antler this year. What do I do? What do you pick?
2: Yeah, yeah, right. Well, I think you've got to go back to soil health. If you get your soil right, then all those other things will fall in flux. You know, so whether you like to plant cowpeas or whether you like to plant your soybeans or whether you're planting ashenomine or Lab Lab, whatever it may be, all of these summer food plot crops are going to be well into the 20% range of protein. You know, so... I think it all starts, you know, under the root. If the soil is healthy, then those plants are going to be healthy and, you know, and you're going to get that benefit.
0: So, Daniel, you know, you're talking about the soil health really being foundational, fundamental to the whole summer food plot program. And all of this sounds like just about everything that you can plant has adequate protein for antler growth. And we're trying to produce as much, you know, we're trying to overwhelm the deer. So basically, there's always a there's always a buffet out and they can't get enough, uh, they're going to grow their best set of antlers as long as they've got plenty. When you go in and you're looking at a property, let's say I've got 3,000 acres and I'm going to plant 30 acres of food plot, would you recommend guys pick something that that makes sense for their soil and go across the board, one type of crop, or do you like to blend it up the way you do
2: in the fall? Yeah, definitely provide variety. Uh, No doubt about it, especially if you have acreage You know, deer are are browsers by nature and they figure out what is best at a certain time during the, you know, during the spring, summer, you know, and that's what they're going to key on. So there's, there's all kinds of summer uh, legumes. That peak at different times, you know. Cow peas, you know, have different maturity dates, and that's something that we try to key on with some of our mixes. Is we try to use different cow peas that are that have different bloom dates. You'll you'll notice if you you know you hear guys that talk about planting iron and clay peas, you know, they may say, well, the iron and clay peas grew and grew and nothing ever touched them. Well, they started blooming, and I came back, and within a week they devoured the whole plot. Well, that's because those plants peaked then, and they were the most palatable at that time. So we'll use three different varieties that bloom at different dates. To try to provide that peak through a longer time during the growing season so if you've got you know if you if you've got room to be diverse you know plant some soybeans plant some lab lab plant plant a good mix that's got you know a lot of different varieties with it you know try to be as diverse as you can is
1: is there a mix that you would consider kind of bulletproof for the, the new
2: guys you know just to get started yeah sure. you know my favorite mix is a is a pea mix. Um, we call it our pea patch mix and it's got three different cow peas. It's got lab lab, it's got a late group soybean, it's got your buckwheat, and we use a um, an F2 hybrid sunflower for the structure crop for all those plants to get on and grow upward so you get more tonnage. Um, but it's easy to use you know it's it's fine to use pre-emerges with it for weed control. Everything in that blend is a broadleaf. So you can use your, you know, your grass-selective herbicides, your clefidem or sethoxidem. Um, so it's easier to keep those plots clean. But, but yeah, there's a lot of varieties that peak at a lot of different times. So that's, that would be my favorite.
0: What about as we get into the tail end of the summer and we're going into bow season, you know, in Alabama, usually middle of October, some of our other Southern states are, they've got bow seasons as early as, our deer seasons as early as August, some mm-hmm. in September is there anything that you particularly like to plant that does provide some, that's, a, that's attractive to deer as we do get into the fall season?
2: Oh, yeah. You know, uh, things like Lab Lab, you know, even some of your long maturity cowpeas, you know, those type varieties, uh, Ashenomene is a great one. Uh, those varieties are going to hang in there and be really productive until the first frost. You know, a lot of times we may not see a frost until Halloween, uh, maybe, think uh, so you know, there are a lot of deer that are parsing over summer plots, you know, on that opening two or three weeks of bow
1: season. Well and you got my attention when I when you said sunflowers and you know that got me thinking about dove hunting. I know we're talking about feeding deer here, but you start to hit that transition that Joe was talking about, you know, before bow season when dove season comes in. If you've got that mix planted, everything's looking good. I mean, do you ever see a scenario, especially in these larger fields, where you'll, you'll cut that and turn it into a, a dove field before we take it to the fall deer plot?
2: Oh, yeah. We, we do that a lot. We may even uh, skew what mix we use to try to, you know, to try to key on other species besides just deer. You know, a lot of times we may, except for planting bee patch, we may throw in another handful of sunflowers with it just to bump up that population, knowing that we're going to come mid-September, we're going to bush hog it, and uh, we've got the cow peas and buckwheat and the sunflowers. can make a great dove shoot, you know, or we may use grain sorghum and milo, and, you know, we're feeding deer. We can shoot doves over it. Uh, We may leave it standing for the birds, you know, for the turkeys, you know, to come through and use that standing grain sorghum, you know, so there's lots of different ways that you can, you know, you can manipulate what you're planning to serve, you know, other target species besides just feeding deer.
0: All right. Well, we talked about soil temperatures, but when does that typically occur, Daniel? I mean, if somebody's trying to get their seed together, they're trying to get their their plan together. Maybe they're trying to get their hunting club together and plan a work day. If possible, we want to try to look at the extended forecast and plan around a precipitation event, and we want to look at soil temperatures and that thing. But sometimes, sometimes you just got to get it in the ground. You you just can't Mm -hmm. either can't wait any longer or you're your schedule is not flexible enough to allow you to to do that. So, if you had to pick a date range of when to get this stuff in the ground, what what would you be looking at?
2: Yeah, sure. And you know, it's gonna it's gonna vary some when you're you know you're dealing with the coast up, say, North Alabama, North Mississippi. But typically, by mid-April to say April twentieth is a is a good time to get started. The month of May is great. What you run into the later you wait when you get into June, you know, we typically start to. Be- to get drier and you know so you, you know you just it can be hit or miss on your precipitation but with that being said a lot of these summer lagoons are you know whether it be cowpeas or lab lab or some of some of those varieties they don't mind the soil temperature's hot so you know you do have that window to plant even later a lot of times we'll plant another round of cowpeas around july 4th you know a lot of guys will plant cowpeas or even soybeans right before you know, right before bow season for a nice little attractive plot. But yeah, you know, I I think the biggest thing there is don't get started too early. You wanna make sure that you've warmed up, the soil's warm, and that's typically, wait till after mid-April is normally a good rule of thumb before you start planting lagoons. Daniel, as far as soil tests go,
1: I mean, how often should we be taking those those samples and sending them in?
2: You know, we typically pull ours every other year. You know, unless you have a field that you just have really had a lot of trouble with and say it comes back at a really, really low pH or a really low phosphorus rating, and you make a big amendment to it, you know, you may want to pull that sample again the next planting season and just see where you're at. You know, but normally every other year, if you have a real sandy soil, you may want to pull them every year just because you get so much that leaches out or is used up. But yeah, normally every other year is fine on most most of our soils.
1: I've always wondered on those years where my plots or fall plots are whether they're eaten down or it's a soil problem or you know really what the issue is or if there's an issue and I see some clients and and friends that have those exclusion cages built in their plots so they can really see you know how much or how well their plot did if it didn't have
2: uh, the browsing pressure that the deer giving it I'm
1: assuming you recommend those I mean what's the what's
2: a good size and height for those yeah sure exclusion yeah exclusion cages are great they can definitely tell you how the crop did you know you may have a, a situation where you planted a field and the deer just you know they just mowed it off when it came up and you think well gosh my soul was terrible or you know I didn't get good germination or whatever it may be and that exclusion cage may really May really show you differently. You know, we we typically just use something about three or four feet wide. We use a lot of just net wire fence. You know, maybe four or five feet tall. A couple T posts, three T posts. Um, works really well. Um, but it can sure give you a good indication of how those crops grew. You know, in those plots. If you're
0: using those those exclusion cages and you see, you know, you're looking at inside and outside of the cage. Where what's your barometer for what you're seeing outside of the cage? Where you say, look, we we've got. We got to plant more acreage. This is over browsing.
2: Yeah, no, that that's right. And especially with summer plots. So, you know, the way I look at it is if that deer is out grazing in that field, does the deer, you know, does he have to walk to each end of that plot and spend just tons of time fill his belly? Or can he stand in that plot and feed in a 20, you know, 20 foot circle? Um, there's got to be tonnage. There's got to be groceries for those deer. You know, if you've got a, a field full of, you know, just stems left. You know, that's that's not productive at that time. You probably need to try to plant a little more acreage. And if you've got, you know, hog presence on your property, whether it be a, a few or a lot, I mean, are there
1: any mixes or seed types you'd recommend that are a little bit more or less
2: hog friendly than the, you know, corn or something like that would be? Yeah, sure. You know, with pigs... You know, any of the grain products, meaning like your millets or milo or corn, rice, of course, chufas are, you know, pigs love chufas. They're going to be tough if you've got pigs. But most of your summer legumes, your leafy forage, pigs, there's nothing underneath them for them to root. They may graze on them a little bit, but we typically don't see a lot of, even a lot of grazing pressure on leafy legumes in the summertime by hogs. Once those crops mature, Say if you've got soybeans or cowpeas, you know, they may make some grain. And once that grain is made, sure, you know, the pigs may get in there and eat the grain, but but you're going to be pretty successful as far as deer food if you'll just stay with your, you know, summer legume. You'll be in good shape.
0: Well, Daniel, you know this coronavirus and COVID nineteen, whatever you want to call it, response has affected a lot of businesses. But you guys are considered, and your retailers are considered essential businesses. You're providing, you know, feed and seed, and and you're still open, right?
2: Yeah, that is correct. We are, we're still open and, you know, all of our dealers are open. Everybody has, you know, they've kind of manipulated, you know, the way they're doing business, but we're shipping a lot right now. Guys have got inventory. Uh, We're blending right now. A lot of guys have some time on their hands They're at their farms or their, you know, their hunt clubs and, you know, so, so there's a lot of seed getting ready to go in the ground. But yeah, as far as I know, all of our dealers, everybody is open and ready to, ready to help you out.
0: Well, if somebody wants to get online and check out, well, you know, your dealer list, where they are uh, in relation uh, to them, find your closest dealer, or or if they want to call you, and I mean, we look, we could talk about this stuff for hours, but ultimately it boils back down to where are you? What's your soil like? What's your goals? It, so, if somebody wants to contact you guys and say, you know, Daniel, I'm in the Black Belt, or I'm in I'm in the Coastal Plain, and and here's what I got going on. What what's best for me? Uh, what's the best way for them to get in touch with you?
2: Yeah, sure. And look, we take phone calls every day of the week and, and we love taking them. They can give us a call at 800 uh, 400 You know, one of our guys, myself or Bell, or, you know, one of the guys can handle can handle those calls and get you some good advice related to your property and what you're trying to do, you know, and hey, reach out to our dealers too. You know, we've our dealers, there's some really sharp guys there that know their stuff. So don't, don't be afraid to reach out to those guys as well.
0: Well, Clint you covered a lot of ground, man. I, I really feel like I'm in a better position now, understanding spring planning and summer forage. Do you feel prepared, man? Uh, ready for your spring planning? Ready for your your summer food plot?
1: Uh, I'm ready to get going on it. I mean, it gives me a new quarantine project, but still feel like if there's a shopping aisle with all these seeds on it, I'm still going to just sit there and stare at them for hours trying to make a decision. Well, you know, uh, I think
0: that was yeah. I think that was what I learned first and foremost from Daniel is we all we all want that what's that newest seed blend that's going to put 20 inches antler on our deer or what's that bag of seed that's going to solve all our problems and ultimately it's all about your soil some of us have got good dirt some of us don't have good dirt but regardless of if you've got quote-unquote good or bad you can improve it and make it better that's foundational to all all this so i wouldn't get so caught up on which particular seed? I mean, you definitely want to choose the right one based on what you got going on and the goals that you've got. But more importantly, you need to be thinking about what's my soil conditions right now. Can I improve them? What are my soil conditions at the time of planting? Give myself as much opportunity to uh, to succeed as I can. And you know, the other thing that was pretty cool is that this is an essential business. So I, I you know, we we see the same thing in, in forestry right now. I know toilet paper is in high demand. Are you seeing? <laughs> you starting to see. To trickle down yet in timber products?
1: Well, I mean, uh, it's, yeah, it's really helped the pulpwood market. I mean, that's, you know, most of the mills are running basically 24 hours a day right now, trying to keep up with that demand. You know, we've seen some, depending on where you are, seems like the sawmills are starting to go pretty tight quota there which is going to shift a lot of uh, loggers to pushing more pulpwood so that's probably going to while the demand will stay high for the pulpwood the prices will drop just because the supply is going to increase so much so you know but that'll be temporary until they think it back to a little bit more normal and shift again i mean that's the the beauty of the timber market you know if you don't like what it's doing today just wait because it's going to change
0: that's And that's like what we talked about last week. It's the beauty of the land market in general. It's One one day you're selling more recreational properties that are in higher demand. And then something like COVID-19 happens and we switch back to an investor mindset where we're more focused on timber values or production values for agricultural land, things of that nature. So uh, I'm still th- seeing things moving in my market. H- how are things going for you?
1: Uh, we're as busy as I've ever been. We're Struggling to keep up with the demand, but you know it's more uh, investment mindset on most seen, of the are people. You I'm a talking lot of to. people, a lot of people pulling
0: out of the. Mar- are they pulling out of the stock market and putting that into land?
1: In some cases, yes. In some cases, they're people that have they're just at the point in life that they've. They're tired of the of the constant volatility of the stock market and just said, you know what, I'm going to get into a more stable investment and stay there. Or it's other people who are going to stay in the market, but they're going to diversify into into more land or land in general, just because it is more stable, just so they can hedge against you know this kind of thing in the future a little better.
0: Yeah. Well, you can't plant summer food plots on your stocks. That's what I always say. <laughs> you
1: can't. You can't hide out there during a quarantine either.
0: All right, buddy. Well, that's going to wrap it up. Good show. Folks, as always, please uh, subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to podcasts. If you'd like us to email you the podcast, uh, just head over to greatdaysoutdoors.com. You can get join our email list there. It's really easy. We'll send you the new show each week. And if you've got a question about today's show or anything for that matter or, or an idea uh, for a show you'd like to hear more about, just email us at pros, P-R-O-S, at landhunting.com we'll take a look at it. We appreciate y'all listening. Stay safe out there. We'll talk to you next time. This week's show has been brought to you by Alabama Ag Credit. Buying real property isn't the same as buying in town. If you're in the market to purchase your own piece of paradise or need an operating line for your farm, give our friends at Alabama Ag Credit a call. As the local experts in rural real estate financing, they can help you with everything from homes and land to tractors and crops. Because sometimes natural resources need financial resources. And while some lenders don't get it, they do. Learn more by visiting alabamaagcredit.com. And also, Joe Baia and Clint Flowers, members of the top producing team at National Land Realty, the fastest growing and most innovative land brokerage in the nation. Bottom line, we know land, and now is a great time to buy or sell. Want to know why? Shoot us an email at pros@landhunting.com or call us at 855-NLR-LAND.